You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, these are difficult conversations. So what I always say when we start these projects is if there's anything you don't like or you don't like the episode, I will not air this episode if either of you are unhappy with it. Like, because I want this to be a kind of safe space where you can say what you want to say. I'd rather have an intense, great conversation and us all decide not to air it than to have a crappy conversation. Um, So know that I will not, I will send you a copy of this before it's set to go live. And I will not air something that you both are like, oh, I'm unhappy with that. Or either one of you is unhappy with. Um, That's the trade-off. Rich or Paul, if one of the other of you does not like what's being said and we can't edit easily around it, um, then then I reserve the right not to play it. Because I, I don't want to put something out there that, that everyone isn't happy with. Yeah, I get you. Awesome. Thank you. It's not one of my favorite movies, 8 Mile with Eminem. In the opening scene, B-Rabbit, the protagonist, chokes while up on stage during a rap battle. The movie plays out as expected. Jimmy, or B-Rabbit, lives on the wrong side of 8 Mile Road in a trailer home with an alcoholic mother, her abusive boyfriend, and he is trapped in a low-paying job. Throughout the movie, we see his struggles, his weakness as he tries to pull himself up and make it as a rapper. As we head to the triumphant conclusion, he faces his nemesis, Papa Doc, in a rap battle which he wins the coin toss to go first. This time, he doesn't choke. In fact, he leaves his nemesis speechless by not only pointing out his competitor's vulnerabilities, but leading with his own. Let's take a listen, and I warn you, this clip as well as the episode will contain provocative and explicit language this is a good time to switch to another episode if that is not your thing. This guy ain't no motherfucking MC. I know everything he's got to say against me. I am white. I am a fucking punk. I do live in a trailer with my mom. My boy Future is an Uncle Tom. I do got a dumb friend named Cheddar Bob who suits himself in his leg with his own gun. I did get jumped by all six of you chumps. And we did fuck my girl. Still standing here screaming, fuck the free world. Don't never try to judge me, dude. You don't know what the fuck I've been through. But I know something about you. You went to Cranbrook, that's a private school. What's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster? His real name is Clarence. And Clarence lives at home with both parents. And Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. This guy don't want to battle, he's shook. Cause ain't no such thing as that great crook. Today we are joined by Paula Pant of the Afford Anything podcast and Rich Jones from the Mental Wealth Show. If you ask any of us out there creating in public, we'll tell you that every day can feel like a battle. And like B-Rabbit, sometimes we choose to lead with our vulnerabilities. Maybe because we have to, maybe because it's the right thing to do for our brand and sense of authenticity. But it also begs the question, can we go too far? Now, I know this might sound like insider baseball for just content creators, but I would challenge any of you out there. Maybe you don't have a podcast, blog, or prestigious Instagram following, but most likely you put something up on social media each and every day 
you are your own brand, how much should you share? Paula Pant is an award-winning podcaster and creator of the brand Afford Anything. She reminds us that you can afford anything, but not everything. So what's it going to be? Rich Jones is the force behind the ever-popular Paychecks and Balances platform and recently evolved his podcast and renamed it The Mental Wealth Show. Rich and Paula, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Rich, the reason I like that eight-mile clip is that it juxtaposes the perceived weaknesses of B-Rabbit, which he admits on stage, versus the vulnerabilities of Papa Doc, which are exposed by his opponent. I'm thinking about the recent economy conference and your talk. Tell us about the strength and even power of disclosing your own vulnerabilities up on stage. It is totally freeing and not just for self in disclosing and sharing who I am authentically, but I've also been the person in the audience at these conferences feeling the way that I was feeling at that time, whether it was sad, whether it was struggling with the lack of confidence, struggling with alcohol. And for me, it's really important when I get up there that I show people this is normal. It's not all just what you see on the social media. Even though I speak well up here on this stage, I have nerves. I have angst just like anyone else. I have issues in life just like anyone else. And so for me, when I talk, when I podcast, it's always been about the younger version of me, the less wise version of me, but the version of me that was doing the best I could with the tools that I had at that time. And so I always have that in mind. And I remember all of the things that I struggle with, all of the negative self-talk that I used to have. And so it's important that I show people like, look, these are the downsides. These are the negatives. I don't have everything 100% figured out. I'm very good at what I do, but I've also got a lot of faults as well. And I found after my economy talk, that's one of the things that people appreciated the most was the honesty, not just about how I felt about different things, but what I was actually going through and the impact that was actually having on my life. And Rich, when you were up there on stage being vulnerable, did it feel scary or empowering at the moment? The first two minutes are always terrifying. And I've, and I've uh, worked it into talks before where I've said, hey, let me get through the first two minutes. But after that, I'm gonna get into my swag walk. And then that's literally what happens. There's a moment where the shaky leg, all of that stuff goes away. And I gave a talk at podcast movement and someone came up to me afterwards and said, wow, I've never heard someone acknowledge the nerves at the beginning of their talk before, because I feel that way all the time. But I feel like I have to be so strong and so powerful. And I was talking to a woman. And so she kind of double emphasized this. Like, I feel like I have to do so much when I'm up there, but you just acknowledge it, let it be. And then just like you said, two minutes in, you found it and the whole thing was fantastic. And that's not a self-congratulatory pat on the back, but it was that connection, which I think is the part that's that's really empowering for me is when, when I feel that I've made that connection with someone, it's kind of like, all right, like another human, boom, got him. And that's when I know that there's probably going to be a lesson. I'm going to be able to say something that's going to impact their life in a way that maybe they didn't expect when they first came into that talk or when they first started listening to the podcast. Paul, let's talk about June 4th, 2021. You shared on a very different kind of stage, a thread of tweets that revealed some fairly intimate and vulnerable information about yourself. Was there a moment after you did the whole thread where you wish you could just go back and take it all back? <laughs> no, no, I'm glad I did. So for context, for for I'm going to assume that most people who are listening to this don't don't follow everything that I tweet and so may not know what you're referring to. And so for context, what I tweeted was something that I had been struggle, not struggling with, that's not the, something that had been a major part of my life for many, many years that I had never talked about. And it was that I was in a physically abusive relationship. And I was in that relationship for many years. And for people who aren't familiar with, with that, there's the actual I guess, act that everyone imagines, like that moment of getting hit, getting, getting pushed, getting shoved into a wall. Like there's, there's the actual physical violence, but the real suffering from it comes from 
like the mental and emotional aftermath. And I say aftermath, but when it's ongoing, it's, you know, it's like an aftermath. It, it, it's chronic. And, and so that has been like coping with that and working through that and, you know, dealing with these feelings of like guilt and shame, you know, if you're in a physically abusive relationship, oftentimes you, you feel like it's your fault. Like if only I were a better person, I wouldn't get, he wouldn't have to hit me. And so that's something that I've been struggling with for a long time. But when, you know, I'm, I'm also a public figure and when people see my Instagram or listen to my podcast or read my blog posts, they don't see any of that. And so then when I meet people at like Camp FI or at FinCon or at Economy, they want to like, they're reflecting back to me what I'm putting out there, which is nothing but positivity and optimism, you know? And so they're like, let's talk about real estate. And I'm like, <laughs> I got punched in the face two weeks ago, you know, like, and it's just, it's, it's so disjointed and it made me feel so like not connected with these people who are connecting with me. And so this is a long answer to a short question, but the reason that I'm glad that I tweeted about it and I put it out there is so that the people, you know, the people who are, I have a large enough Twitter following that word sufficiently got out there and anyone who didn't see the tweet directly probably heard about it through the grapevine secondhand. So I'm glad that it got out there so that everyone at least has the information that this is something I've been dealing with. But I also never brought it up again, never talked about it again, because I don't want to, I don't want to belabor it. I don't want to wallow in it. I want to continue kind of putting that optimism out there that I've become known for and the positivity that I've become known for. I don't want to, I don't want to be a killjoy. You know, it's interesting, Paula, because I remember said stream of tre- mm-hmm. of tweets mm-hmm. and I wasn't happy to re- to, I wasn't happy to read it, but I felt relief in a way it, mm-hmm. and that might sound kind of weird because yeah. uh, kind of like what you just described where it's like you're a public figure and I remember when you came on my show years ago and like I just knowing about you and then seeing you at different events smiling dancing mm-hmm. and it was kind of like wow I never never would have thought or or expected uh something like that so so in a way it actually it was kind of empowering I don't think I had fully gone through my own stuff and processed it at, at, at that time. But I think that's the effect of stuff like that, where you, you share it out there and it's, it's not great, but it's, it's real. And, and for people who are in everyday situations where this is just like a, a part of their life, like that, that reminder that like, yo, this doesn't just happen to people like you, you know, mm-hmm. it happens to everyone. Paula, tell me a little bit about why you chose Twitter and tweets. I mean, you've got several platforms. And as you mentioned, you know, you have a very optimistic platform. I mean, Paula has never looked bad in a picture I've seen on the internet <laughs> ever. Why Twitter and 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 was the disconnect hard? I mean, because can both of those things be true? Can you be that same Paula and yet still have this thing that's really hard to tweet about? Hmm. As far as why Twitter, the the blog. Okay, so of my platforms, the the blog itself doesn't get a ton of traffic. Most of what I like, if I write something, the people who read it are the people who subscribe to my my email newsletter and send blasting it out in an email to seventy thousand people. It just seemed that was, <laughs> was a little much. Little little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, like this doesn't need to land in people's inboxes. So that, so that was out Instagram. There was a moment where I briefly uploaded an Instagram story and then I pulled it down after like under a minute, it was probably up there for like 20 seconds, you know, and there were like four people who saw it, but Instagram, because it's a photo and and specifically with a story, it was a video based medium that seemed, that was also just, it was a little too personal with Twitter. I could, I didn't have to put my, I, it wasn't, it's not a broadcast medium. So I didn't have to put my, my face or my voice out there. You know, I, I could, I guess it's a sort of a shield. I can, 
still have, I don't want to say the anonymity, but like, though it's not, I guess writing is vulnerable, but it's not the same type of vulnerable as video or even audio. So, so yeah, I think that's why I chose Twitter. And was the disconnect hard? I mean, because can both of those things be true? Can you be that same Paula and yet still have this thing that's really hard to tweet about? I mean, I don't know. It's hard because when I convey optimism to my audience, so much of what I'm, I want, you know, there's that expression, people, people often forget what you told them, that, but they remember how you made them feel. And so I don't necessarily expect people to remember some mathematical formula about how to calculate an investment. That might be in the short term what they learned from me, but I I want my audience to feel hope and confidence and optimism because I I strongly believe that those all become self-fulfilling prophecies. I don't want to be the person, you know, I, I like, I feel like part of my my service to my audience is, is giving them that, like in just in being this constant stream of, of hope and positivity and optimism so that they then, you know, so that that permeates into every facet of their life again. So I don't like to wallow in, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge what happened, but I, I just don't like to wallow in it or like, let that dominate the conversation. Yeah. And I, this is probably the podcaster in me, but Paula, now I have to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think about not wanting that to become like part of your brand, like not having that become a thing that defines you? Because And that might be me projecting, but I'm, yeah. I'm curious if, if that's like a factor where it's like, I don't want this trauma to become like a part. Like, it's part of my story, but I don't want it to become the story. And I don't want that to become the primary thing that people associate with me. Yeah, I, there's probably, I mean, that's not, I don't think I had that conscious thought, but I'm sure, I'm sure that that was a uh, unstated, meaning unstated even to myself, influencing factor. Because oftentimes, as I've thought about my brand, I've thought about all of the various ways that I could get pigeonholed, and I've sort of actively worked against that. Like, like I never wanted to be a, a woman's brand, you know, and so I've, I've been very cognizant of making sure that I have plenty of of men come onto the afford anything podcast so that it doesn't get pigeonholed as like a woman's podcast. Same thing with being a person of color. Like I, you know, I I don't want to be pigeonholed as like, quote unquote, just that, that feels too, you know, limiting or putting, you know, real estate, same deal. (laughs) Like, you know, uh, I don't want to be pigeonholed in just that arena. And so I think whenever there's an aspect of a person that makes them unique or different, you know, that, that quality is salient. Like people don't remember the 50 things about you that they have in common with you. They remember the one thing that's different because that's, it does, the the uniqueness makes you stand out, but oftentimes it, it overshadows the rest. And so, so, so the short answer is yes, but I probably didn't even, I didn't necessarily realize that I was doing that. Rich, I want to contrast this discussion of brand and medium with Paula's tweets and what you decided to do. So you put out an episode of Paychecks and Balances September 9th, and then nothing until October 15th. Tell me about what was happening in your life and and, and tell me about that episode, the October 15th episode. Oh, man. It's funny because that September 9th episode, I haven't told L, but that episode was a reason that I didn't release anything for the next six weeks. Because part of what I talked to L Martinez on that September episode about was the transition of her podcast from uh, Couple Money to, I think, Simplify and Enjoy. And the feeling that she started to have of there was a part where she was listening back to herself and it felt a little inauthentic because she wanted to go in a different direction, but she was still going down the same path. And that resonated with me because I felt like I had evolved a lot as a person and I was feeling a lot of things at at the time. And I felt like I was trapped in a space where I was starting to produce content because 
this is what people expected from me. This is what people have known me for for years. It's just me now. If I change something, people might leave. There was a little bit of fear of abandonment type of stuff that was going on at the time. And coincidentally, while I was on this journey with the podcast, I also started having panic attacks. The day job got to a place where it was really stressful. I got to a point where even basic tasks like responding to email was really hard. So I took a mental health leave from the day gig at the beginning of September. And I said, after that conversation with Elle, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to step away from from work, I need to really step away from work. And that includes the podcast. And what people don't tell you about taking a leave, and I said this in a talk, is what it's like to be alone with your thoughts and to actually do that work and do that processing and how hard that was. So from from like beginning of September through probably mid-October was really, really freaking hard. FinCon was fantastic. It was like, that was a, a relief to be able to go and meet folks, see folks, but, but even that had some negative energy around it. So for me, part of that time off was like really processing for, for self to, to get to the root of some of my own stuff, but also kind of like subconsciously in the background, iterating on what I want going forward. And I think that that's a really critical distinction is that for years, it was about what my partner wanted and partner can, can be whoever it was in my life who was a partner at that time in different aspects. It was, it was, what what does my partner want? What does the audience want? And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I let it get to a point where I wasn't making decisions based on my own happiness. I was making, making decisions based off of how I thought others might perceive or experience something. And in the process of that, I, I lost some authenticity. I, at least it felt that way to me. So that's why I decided to step away from the uh, podcast. And, and when I came back, and especially when I came back with, with the new show, like I wouldn't have even come up with the name of the podcast if I didn't take this mental health leave. Like, I, I don't think I would have made that change. I wouldn't have given the talk that I gave at Economy if I didn't take this mental health. I mean, that was the basis, like that was a key point of, uh, of my talk. So I had to create that space for self, but it's important that people know, like those first six weeks were really fucking hard. I mean, there were tears, there were memories that I hadn't had in years. There was the acceptance and acknowledgement of things. And even now I'm at a place where I'm like, you know what, like I'm, I know you're supposed to release content weekly. I was like, I'm not fucking putting out a weekly episode. I'm going to go to bi-weekly because I'm doing my day job. I'm doing this. I want to have space to put together talks like I did at Economy. That felt freaking fantastic to, to know that I was able to impact that many people. So I'm kind of in a mode of do less to do more right now. And none of that happens if I don't, if I don't create that space for myself. Rich, was there ever a point where you said, okay, I'm going to do all this but then I'm going to go back to the podcast and, you know, pretend like nothing happened, even though I'm changing on the inside. Why did you decide to kind of disclose and talk about that on the outside in the podcast? Which part? I think your vulnerabilities, your internal struggle, like why I could see someone. So people take breaks, leave of absences all the time. They even decide that their life isn't kind of doing what they want with it, or they start dealing with past traumas. That's one thing. And then you kind of go back to work and and continue your life. You did that, but then you really transformed your podcast to really talk about these issues. Was there a moment where you're like, okay, I'm going through this. I can manage it, but I don't have to be telling everybody about what's going on in my life. I did that because it's really fucking me. Like that's that's who I am. I was telling you even before we started talking, like I was a personal blogger before all of this other stuff, writing about what was happening in life. And some of that has gotten lost with all of the commercialization and entrepreneurializing of everything. But before all, before personal finance, before career advice, like I would, before podcasting, I was like a dating and relationship blogger. And then I, you know, I'd write about things that were happening in my life. I'd share vulnerable things. And then over the years, like a lot of that got lost because I was constantly shifting and adjusting and trying to fit in and trying to be different things based off of what group or or what setting I was in. And for me, like a big part of what I've been working on these past few months is is letting go. So one, acknowledging, but then two, like letting go, you know, so like the the, changing the name of the podcast, that's letting go of 
of a past chapter that, you know, like there, there are things I would much rather not have in my purview every time I fire up, every time I fire up the microphone and, and start recording a podcast. I'm also a different person. My interests are different in some ways. Part of why I got into personal finance was because at that time I'd been writing about dating and relationships for years. I felt like I'd said everything that I could say. I become a lot more interested on my financial health. And the way, the, the way that I feel now is, yeah, I'm still interested in money and all of these other things, but I'm a lot more interested in mental health because I know the power of what that can, of what that can do for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was a point in time where like, I, I felt a, it was almost like a resentment toward the podcast and like a resentment toward the audience because I wasn't, but I had control over it, but I wasn't talking about the things that were exciting or, or things that I were passionate about. I was talking about what I thought people wanted. And then when you, then when you're talking about something that you think people wanted and you don't get the response that you thought you would get by giving the people what you thought that you wanted, that then creates a, a cycle as well. So even part of that time off was breaking that and kind of separating the what, what I think the audience wants going back to 2016, 2015 versus like what Rich Jones wants going forward. And that's that's that. And that's why I wrap my intro. I'm like, this is me. This is the most me thing I could possibly do. We are talking with Rich Jones of The Mental Well Show and Paula Pant from the Afford Anything podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals. And let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying the Earn and Invest podcast, there are a few other ways in which you can interact with our community. The first is our Facebook group. This is the place where we discuss all our episodes of personal finance, today's headlines. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. While you're there, you can also go to earnandinvest.com. That is my website where you can find all of our old episodes, some blog posts, as well as video content. We'd love to see you there. You can join our newsletter. Also, my new website, jordangrummet.com, that's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com, is now live, and there you can go to find out everything about the book launch, which is scheduled for August 2022. My book, Taking Stock, is about the confluence of my knowledge as a personal finance podcaster as well as end of life as a hospice doctor. I talk about the stories, what I've learned from taking care of people as they've near death and what that has taught them about money and happiness. Check us out at any of these places, and I'd love to see you become part of our community. Now back to the show. We are back with Paula Pant from Afford Anything and Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. We are talking today about vulnerability, not just as a brand, as someone who podcasts or blogs or is a known Instagrammer, but also for everybody We are constantly out there on social media, whether we mean to or not, we are creating our own brand. 
Paulo, for content creators, but even for your average Joe or Jane, how important is vulnerability to building a brand? Is it a necessity? Two thoughts come to mind immediately. One is that vulnerability isn't a binary. It isn't yes or no. So there are varying degrees of vulnerability. And along that spectrum of, for example, a very simple act might be to crack some sort of self-deprecating joke. Like on when at the economy conference, which both of you were at, I told the story about how I, I realized that I shaved one leg, but not the other. And then I was like walking around the conference and I looked down and I'm like, oh, I got to go back to my hotel room and shave the other leg, you know? And so that kind of story, yeah, it, sure, it, it's vulnerable, but in sort of a goofy, silly, you know, lighthearted kind of way. So I guess that's intro to vulnerability. And then you you progress from there. The other, so that's that's one of two thoughts. The other thought is that as you asked that question, what came to mind immediately was uh, I was trying to think of the distinction between vulnerability and authenticity because they are related but disparate concepts. And I don't have a good answer to what that distinction is, but that's that's something that my brain is now incubating on based on that question. Rich, <laughs> tackle that one. I see you looking <laughs> off into the distance as you're thinking about it. it it's not an easy question. But I think it's important, right? Because we often have to ask ourselves whenever we're putting something out in the world, when do we be vulnerable, right? And so trying to figure out what's authenticity, what's vulnerability, and when it's appropriate, it, it's a difficult question. Yeah, I'm thinking about it too, because vulnerability was, it's become my strength, my superpower, but it was also the thing that I struggled the most with for most of my life until probably these past few years. And so when I think of vulnerability, defensiveness actually came up to mind. And I was like, okay, when I'm not vulnerable, what does that mean? That means there's probably walls up. I'm not being honest with myself or others. I'm, I'm holding things back. And that can happen with authenticity as as well, but like to me, authenticity is is, is like just like the, the the realness factor. Like you know, you hear me rapping the intro, or you like that is like that is him, or if, or if you hear me say like yo, that's some bullshit. Like you know, like that's you may not agree with it, you may not like it, but like that's that person. Like that you, you know that you're getting the the real deal. When I think of vulnerability, I also think of courageousness. When you're you're when you're authentic, you're not necessarily you don't necessarily need to be courageous to be authentic. You could be a coward, and that really is who you are. I'm not saying anyone is that, <laughs> but but that's kind of how I how I separate the two. Paul, is there a time where vulnerability starts feeling inauthentic or even gratuitous? Can you think of some times on social media or sometimes out there where you've been like, okay, that's not really who they are. They're being gratuitous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I, I think I've I might have worked this out in my head. All right, so authenticity is when you talk to your audience like you're talking to a friend at a bar. Vulnerability is when you open up to that friend at the bar. But then to your question, like when you're being gratuitous about it, is when you're just you're at that bar, but you're like throwing yourself a pity party rather than actually just like express it, openly expressing what's in your heart. Yeah. Rich, you ever, you ever see someone being vulnerable online and say, okay, that's a little off-putting like that, that didn't have the effect that I'm hoping to have when I'm vulnerable out there. Some of my best lessons are from the mistakes of others. And I'm sure some other people's best lessons are from my mistakes, but yeah, I've noticed that. And I'm, there, what's been really interesting in particular is how the hot niche changes every few years, you know, so it went from blogging to podcasting. And there was a part where we were talking money, but personal finance hadn't become like popular. And now that's the cool thing to talk about. And so now people are people who I've known for years who never had any interest in the space are suddenly like telling personal finance stories and giving advice. And, and so like, sometimes I can, like, I can kind of see through it at least, at least I, I think that I can, but that that's why like, I'm just very discerning in who I, whose content I consume and where I get information from, because I do think sometimes people will, I hate to put it this way, but I think some people do capitalize on trauma. 
Like, I, I think that's a that's a thing where they may have their own story. They may have their own experience or, or they know something that happened to someone and they, they will find a way to spin that for a profit. And, and I think that's gross and maybe tied to authenticity. Like when you're just like sharing who you are, there, there's never that question. Like, like there are people I listen to follow where like I never question anything about them because I know like just what I see or what I hear like that's what I'm getting, but there are other cases where I'm kind of like, that felt like that feels like forced. Like what? Like it, it kind of feels like it. It 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 feels too methodical, and 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 maybe that's the difference. There's like a a level of, and I, I see it particularly on Instagram where there's like a level of like methodicalness, and and you can see the shift in people. And may, and I hope it doesn't happen to me. Maybe it happens to me. Maybe it's natural of people becoming uh, more popular or their notoriety growing, but like. It goes from like, hey, here's just me. Here's me as the human as to, oh, here's me. And here's who may be watching. So let me share even this like filtered version that I know is going to appeal and tell this particular story versus like, this is just me. Paula, I wonder, you know, it seems like, and I'm not sure if COVID had something to do with this. But maybe part of it is we've all been going through this kind of big group trauma, but it seems like vulnerability has become in vogue as of late. Is that a fair Mm -hmm. statement? Yeah, I I absolutely think it is. In fact, I think vulnerability, mental health, depression, anxiety, like these have all become trendy, so to speak, which, which is a terrible thing to say, but, but it goes to your, you know, to this topic of of people jumping on the bandwagon and people being gratuitous and, and rich, as you said, people capitalizing on trauma. I guess it's there's two sides to every coin, right? Like so the one of the silver linings that came out of COVID is that people became more open about talking about mental health issues because COVID was something that, you know, universally affected all of us, particularly during me spring spring and summer of 2020 at the the peak of the shutdowns everyone's life was different you know so, some people of course had a great you were more greatly impacted than others but like ev- there's there's not a single human being whose life was not affected by covid and the shutdowns and so because of the fact that it was such a shared experience it's like natural that the discussions around the way that it emotionally impacted people would like come into the zeitgeist. That's the good part. I I think for people who haven't really, really felt true depression or even grief, you know, for people who don't know what that is, maybe they're trying to relate and maybe they're reaching for their own experience. Yeah. But, but it's not that. And it shows. Yeah. Rich, what, what Paula says it brings up a question in my mind. So when you are vulnerable and expose true trauma or vulnerability, I think that really, really speaks to people who've been there, who are struggling with it. It's another question about what it does for those people who have not been there and who are not experiencing it. And I don't know the answer to this because I, like you guys, have definitely put myself out there and been vulnerable at times. And I've always thought, boy, I hope this hits the person who really needs it right now. What I haven't thought about is what about the person who's maybe mildly depressed or mildly struggling with these things? What does my story do for them one way or another? Those are probably the people that I think about the most, the people who are at the beginning or because even during these talks, I'm like, look, if I'm talking to 400, 500, as long as, and it it took me a while to get okay with this. Like, as long as I get to that one person that really needs it, because uh, uh, a lot of us as content creators, we've gotten messages from people randomly where someone says you've saved my life. And I I got a message like that years ago. and And I was like, wow, because you you never know who's who's listening, you never know who's paying attention. Yeah, so I think about my younger self like earlier on, and so when I'm talking or anything, I'm thinking about that particular type of person who's early on, so that they can get ahead of it and not wait to the point where 
they're in such a bad situation that they're doing things out of desperation because it, it, uh, work is, as an example, you stay in a job till you hate the job. You start looking for a job while you hate jobs. You're going to take the first thing that comes your way. And that thing may not be the best thing for you. So it's the same type of thing. And what I'm also starting to get in a, an appreciation of is for people who don't even who don't particularly have any of these issues, but they may be dating someone or they have a brother or they have a cousin or a sister or someone who's dealing with these issues. And it gives them a different perspective of, hey, this person I've been following and that I like, they're actually dealing with all of the same stuff that my whoever's been dealing with. And I thought that that was just like them doing their own thing. Maybe I should look more into this. You know, so there's um, also that side of it, too, where you where through being vulnerable, you get a chance to educate people as well about something that they may not have, you know, put as much time into much time into because it's not something that that they were personally experiencing. Paula, talk to us a little bit about the fallout, both good and bad of being vulnerable. I want to go back to your story a little bit. So you put out that series of tweets. Mm -hmm. What came of that? Not, I mean, not much, honestly. For me, it felt cathartic to finally have expressed it because it was, it dominated my life, my, my, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my behaviors. You know, when I think back on there, there's a period of a few years where I was really in the thick of it. And so when I think back on that part of my life, that to me is the dominant memory of that part of my life. And yet from the outside looking in, nobody knew that. And so that disconnection was like eating away at me. So just to put it out there, that felt very cathartic. But again, like I didn't want to wallow in it. I didn't want to keep the story going. I just, I was like, Hey, you know, it was, it was almost like a just FYI, this happened. All right, moving on, you know? And so and, and so to the question of what came of it, I mean, the, the, the catharsis did, but then I was very, very quick about like, all right, let's, I've said it once, once is enough. Now let's go back to, back to our regularly scheduled programming. We're ready in progress, you know? And, and um, pointed, yeah. and pointedly, I, I, you know, I want to give you a lot of credit because what you did appeared to me, part of your audience is very authentic but it didn't necessarily take away from any of the other optimism or anything else that you kind of put out there. So I don't feel like it detracted in any way, shape or form. And I don't believe anyone did from the optimism and the message you usually send out. And yet it did spur conversations and allow people a space to say, Hey, this is out there and it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and and part of the reason I was so quick to move on, it wasn't just because I'm, I want to, you know, convey optimism to others. It's also because just for, for me in my own life, I don't want my story to be dominated by that. I would rather be thinking about all of the things that I discuss on Afford Anything. Like I would rather be thinking about financial psychology and, you know, behavioral finance and the philosophy of money and all of these things that I think are very intellectually interesting. I think part of moving on is putting it out there, but like also just, yeah, having, having a life, having ideas, having thoughts and feelings and conversations that leave it in the past. So Rich, answer the same question. You changed the format of your show. You gave this huge talk at Economy. Tell me what the vulnerability, how has it affected you, your trajectory, what life looks like today? A huge confidence booster. I've been, I've actually been having this feeling lately that my life is going to change in some very significant way, a positive way. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I've been talking a lot these past few months about the universe because what I've noticed is the more that I share, the more good comes back to me. And when I say share, I'm not just talking about personal finance tips, career tips, just the, the more vulnerable I am, the more I just share of my experience, good and bad, the more continues to come back to me. And one thing that I've found really interesting is that I've always wanted to reach more men. My audience for years has primarily been women still like 70% women. So it's, it's changing a little bit. Not sure if it's just a voice thing. Who, who knows? There's probably a lot of factors, but I've always wanted to reach more men. 
And I noticed I would never get a lot of feedback from men directly uh, on the show, but it wasn't until probably these past five or six months that I've started hearing from men and the types of questions that I'm getting from men are different where now they're saying, Hey brother, I saw that you gave up alcohol. I've been trying to figure out how to change my own relationship with alcohol. Like, you know, any tips or I had someone hit me up on IG and say, Hey, my brother's really going through it right now. I know that you went through something that sounded similar. How did you work your way through that? And those are the type of questions that when I get them, I'm like, yes, like those, those are the people that I want to reach. You know, that's the type of impact that I want to have. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy sharing more of myself. There was actually a point where I was going through the paychecks and balances feed. And I noticed it was all just quote, post, quote, post. And I actually saw that, like, I've been like hiding, you know, and there was a point where you start, you saw me start to, you saw my face start to pop up more often. And to me, like, it, it's a sign of confidence. Even Bubukins was commenting that I was looking at myself in the mirror the other day. She's like, Ooh, I see you checking yourself out. I'm like, I feel pretty damn good. But again, it like, the, the vulnerability is what's carrying me along. It's like, I'm just going to keep telling my story. Like people don't hate me for it. Yes. Some people have fallen off, you know, cause they may not like this new direction, but it's me. And what I'm appreciating more now is that yes, people are leaving, but I know that the people who are joining are joining the journey at the part where it feels the most authentic. And, and that part really makes me excited. You know, I just want to add as an aside, obviously, we have or in the midst of a mental health crisis as it is throughout our nation, probably throughout our world. But I'm definitely sensitive to the men's mental health crisis going on right now. And I think a big part of that is we don't understand how to see strength and vulnerability together. And I think it's a huge part of what men, especially in our grade age group, young to middle age struggle with. So if you want to see what strength and vulnerability look like together, when the economy conference videos come out, check out Rich's talk. Because one of the things I really enjoyed about it, Rich, is I think it was the perfect mix of strength and vulnerability in one talk. You know what strikes me when I hear you say that is that it sounds like men struggle with seeing strength and vulnerability together. And what I've expressed is that perhaps the female version of that. This, the struggle with seeing smiling and vulnerability together, right? Like women are told to smile. Women are told to be, we're, you know, cheerful and smile. And so I'm like, well, how can I smile while also talking about really heavy topics? So yeah, maybe, maybe that's the, the female version of, of grappling with the vulnerability in the context of the gender expectation. And, and what I like about both of your stories is neither of you said the fallout is that it had all of these negative consequences. And that might be the story for today, whether you are a major brand or you're just someone who's on social media posting on a regular basis about your life. Vulnerability can be a very positive thing, but it has to be authentic. It has to be consistent with who you are. It can become the pivot that becomes your new brand, or it can be an aside to say, hey, guys, this is going on with me, but it doesn't necessarily have to take over your life or what you're about. It can be any of those things, again, as long as it's authentic. And I want to throw in for me, people have said, oh, I love the rebrand. And I'm like, no, it's not just a rebrand. This is a personal renaissance. Like, and I think sometimes that you're like, oh, you're doing this just, you know, for, for the brand and as a pivot, as a strategic, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not a pivot just for strategic business purposes. This is me coming into the person that I've wanted and, and knew that I could be, which means a newfound level of freedom. So even that word brand, I think we got to be careful about that sometimes. Yeah, I definitely got the feeling with you, Rich, that it's an evolution, so to speak. Right, right. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. And I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. Rich, what is going on with the Mental Wealth Show and how can people find it if they're interested in listening? Ah, uh, yes. So the Mental Wealth Show gearing up for the new year. Got one more episode to go for 2020. 
super excited to uh, come back in the new year doing two episodes per month. So as part of creating space for self going back, going from four down to two, so I can focus more time and effort on the individual episode storytelling, all of that good stuff. And also most excitingly, I've been talking about the uh, YouTube channel for a while now, the Paychecks and Balances YouTube channel, and that's finally up and running. A uh, new video up at the time that uh, we're recording this, going to be releasing two YouTube videos per month as well. So I've also gotten really, as part of the vulnerability, I've started to get comfortable in front of the camera. And I've realized it's actually kind of fun when you're yourself and you're not thinking about what everyone else is doing and how they're going to impact it. And that's what an editor is for. So uh, yeah, for me, looking forward to uh, more YouTube videos. So uh, Paychecks and Balances on YouTube, that, that, that's where the channel is. Be sure to subscribe, check out the podcast, all of that good stuff, The Mental Wealth Show. Uh, there's also a premium version of the show available where you get access. If you're like, oh man, I didn't get to hear Paychecks and Balances, but I want to go back to the very beginning, you can go to mentalwealthshow.co uh, where there's a premium feed that has the archive of the original podcast, as well as some additional content that I'm going to be publishing that won't be available elsewhere. And Paula, what's up next with you and where can people reach out to you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So um, on the Afford Anything podcast, I mean, we've got 350 amazing, more than 350 amazing episodes. Well, honestly, like the first hundred were kind of like practicing in public, <laughs> but you know, anything from episode 100 forward is pretty good. So yeah. So there's, there's, there's like 250 amazing episodes and like a hundred mediocre ones, but I'm thinking a lot about what we're doing for 2022, you know, who we're going to bring on, who we're going to interview. I I like to bring on a lot of like thinkers. So I tend to interview a lot of New York Times bestselling authors. I, I typically don't go for interview subjects who have like anecdotal case studies. I typically go for people who have like deeply researched a topic and can sort of provide that high level insight into it. So one of the interviews that we lined up for January is someone who did a bunch of research into GameStop and Reddit and all of that like that whole thing that happened about a year ago and, you know, describes specifically what happened, but then also frames it into the broader context of like, what does this mean for our society? What does it mean for the way that we trade? So like, that's one of the interviews that we're bringing on. I'm bringing on some guests who are going to be talking about how to raise children in a way that like, if, if you have some degree of money, you want to give them everything that they need to succeed, but you don't want them to be spoiled or entitled. So, you know, some I'm going to be bringing on someone who's done a bunch of research into that. So those are some of the guests that we're bringing on. And then the, every other episode, Joe Saul Sihai, the host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, he and I answer a bunch of questions that come from the audience. And those are really, really fun episodes to record. And from, from what I hear also to listen to. So all of that is on the Afford Anything podcast, which you can download anywhere you download podcasts. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Paula Pant and Rich Jones. That's a wrap. Have you been considering investing in real estate? If you have, the best place to go to learn about this asset class is the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson here, Chad, a.k.a. The Coach, talks about real estate and gives you all the tips and tricks. But not only that, but he has guests on real proof of concept about how to reach financial independence by mastering this tricky asset class. Check him out. Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. It is a must listen to if you think real estate is going to be part of your financial holdings. The easiest way to get there is to go to coachcarson.com. Again, coachcarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Awesome. Tell me your thoughts. That was great. Good. Yeah, that yeah. was. Oh. Did that feel comfortable, or at least uncomfortable yeah. in a good way? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I already know I won't have any issues or reservations with anything about that. Same. Yeah. yeah. I'll obviously edit it up and everything and make it clean. But uh, thank you. These are not easy things to talk about. Like none of this is easy. Um, and I know, I know that just putting them out there 
can be difficult enough, but then to come back on a podcast and rehash some of it. So, so thank you for taking the time. And, and as you know, I wouldn't ask you to have these conversations unless A, I thought they were important and B, I care deeply about your stories and what they're about. And I think they're so worth getting out there and, and your opinions are so worthwhile. And that's why if I ask you to do some of these things that don't always feel 100% comfortable, I think they're worthwhile. Mm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you for the invitation. Um, yeah. And for this conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it didn't feel particularly difficult. I, I think now that I'm going, switching to the day job, like the, these actually energize me to have these types mm-hmm. of conversations because they break from the stuff that we're typically asked about all of the time. So, like, I feel. I feel good about this. Yeah. 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 I don't want to do another real estate interview. That's totally draining. (laughs) So Paula, tell us, can you really make money in real estate? (laughs) (laughs) I knew I forgot something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. But you know, I I was, I noticed, um, I really enjoyed this, uh, like, and that's why I enjoyed this, this conversation. Like these are the things that are on my mind that I don't often get to talk about. Um, and I noticed as I was speaking, I was like, geez, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ge- generally known for, uh, speaking with a lot of polish and eloquence. And I was like, wow. And I, I was listening to my own, the words that were coming out of my mouth. I'm like, every other word is um or like, like I could hear my, my own eloquence just breaking down. Um, and I think that's, that's an, probably a reflection of like, this is the unpolished part of me. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, again, what I love about that is you can be unpolished, Paula, mm. and then you can be totally polished, Paula, and yeah. both of them I think add to who our understanding of who you are. Like mm. to me, I love that because because yeah. then we know that this is not some kind of stuff that you've rehearsed a hundred times that you know how to say perfectly. This is something that's hard, like and for better right. or for worse. I actually, it's interesting because I, I noticed you had a lot of um, pauses and I actually, my thought was, oh, she's really, she's really thought, not, not that I didn't think you were thoughtful before, <laughs> but like, but, but like the, the, the pauses, I was like, she's really, she's really confident in, cause some people don't even know how to pause. They like, they just, um, like they just like, and I've been one of those people, but I'm like, no, she's okay. Taking a few seconds to get her thoughts. I, I like, I love that. Like, yeah, I, got, I was, I was, I was like, that's how you, that's how you do it. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a talk when I'm ready to talk. Okay, I got it. Now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, Joe told me once, um, and, and I didn't even realize that I did this, but when I'm recording with Joe, like I'm so comfortable with him that I take like extremely long pauses. Uh, and, and I didn't, I don't even consciously realize that I'm doing it. And then one day Joe told me, he was like, you pause for so long. He was like, for a while, it made me uncomfortable. I was like, am am I supposed to talk? What's going on here? He's like, then I just realized she's gathering her thoughts and like, I'll, I mean, they're, they're like insanely long pauses, um, that I didn't even know that I was doing. That Joe was like, I just had to get used to. That's how you. That's how you roll. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And that, the that, more comfortable I get with someone, the longer the pauses get. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that's part of why we like podcasting too, because you can just edit those out or edit them. Yeah, down. I was about to say, you really <laughs> want to be vulnerable. Put out your raw data, like, <laughs> so everyone can see me stumbling through my intro and stumbling through what I'm saying. I cleaned oh, that up. Man. It sounds better. <laughs> oh man. That was actually one of my one of the big things I learned about podcasting is listening to Terry Gross. I finally gave myself like the permission not to edit myself to perfection on on the episodes. It's like, oh, she stumbles and it still sounds great. It's like you can stumble. You can say things slightly wrong. You can pause and you can actually even leave it in. And it, it actually still sounds good or even adds to the authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've started adding a stutter or two that I used to have them cut all the stutters. Um, yeah. and I've started, I'm like, no, leave a couple in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was, this was, ah, man, this makes switching to my day job so much easier. This is like Red Bull to me. <laughs> <laughs> As I would say, Rich will be here tomorrow, nine o'clock, you know, <laughs> yeah, all that good stuff. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places 
but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.